We're in the book of Joshua because, see, the big question is, what is my life supposed to look like as a child of God? You know, what, I, I, we know all these promises, and then you can watch Christian TV, and a lot of times you can see these these uh, evangelists and televangelists on TV, and they make the, the gospel look all about like money, or all look about, you know, everything's good and rosy, and you just serve the Lord, and the enemy loves to get people to hear that message that when you serve God, everything in your life turns peachy and gets good. But that's not really the picture that the Bible portrays or draws out for us as Christians that we're to live. The book of Joshua is the picture of what God called your life and my life to be. We've talked about it for several weeks. We talked about how the book of Joshua is the only book that bears the name Jesus in the entire Bible. The Bible says that in heaven there's a book with my name on it, and every day is written, every one of my days is written in that book in heaven. So that means God has a plan and a will of God for my life. Now, it doesn't mean just because there's a book with my name on it in heaven that I'm going to fulfill those things. In Psalms 139, it says that there's a book in heaven, my name's on it, and every one of my days are written on a page in that book. Now, that may be God's will for my life, but there's one thing stronger on this planet than the will of God, and that's my will. My will is stronger on earth than God's will is. Because I can choose whether or not to live out the will of God for my life, or I can choose to live out my own will. Even Jesus fought this battle. Jesus said this, Not my will, Father, but Thy will be done. So, so there are two battling factors all the time. I can either live my will, or I can live God's will. The problem with living my will is this, You will not get God's will your way. And that's sad because I would love to live the way I want to and get to all the good things that God has for me. Because the Bible says in the New Testament that God wants every good spiritual blessing for you. It actually says that He has given you every spiritual blessing of all kinds. God wants you to have that. The Bible says that God, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, has even entered into the thought of man. So no matter how many imaginations or thoughts you've had of how great your life should be, you've not even scratched the iceberg because he has, it says you've not even entered into the thoughts of man. The good things that God has in store for you are those that love him. So God has this amazing life for us. And so what does that life look like? Well, it looks like when I accepted Jesus... My life now looks like, it's supposed to look like what Jesus will do in my life. So I go to his book. Now, the picture, everything in the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of what God did in the New Testament. Or it's portraying what God's wanting to do now in our lives. Like every, all the characters of the Old Testament before Jesus pointed toward Jesus. Now that Jesus has shown up, he's won't, now what Jesus does in our life, we can look into the Old Testament and there's a type or a shadow, is what they call it in theology, of what God wants to do. So the promised land was promised to Abraham and the descendants, the children of Israel. That was a spot of land called Canaan. Now, in the Old Testament, it was actually a spot of land. In the New Testament, it's not a spot of land. God doesn't want you to get a piece of property. He wants you to live a promise-filled life. In the Old Testament, they called it a land flowing with milk and honey. In the New Testament, it's a life flowing and led by the Spirit. A Spirit full of fruit and honey. Fruits of the Spirit, 
fruit, uh, all the blessings and spiritual blessings they got. So we can we can go to what the promised land was to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, and we can overlay it with what God wants to do in our lives. He wants our lives to be full of flowing fruits and and the promises all the way through the Word. So yes, God wants a good life for you. God has such great things in store for you. thing about it is this. If the promised land is a type or shadow of what God wants to do in our future, you need to understand something. He gave them a land full of giants. In other words, it wasn't just a cakewalk. They didn't just get out of slavery. When they, when they came out of Egypt, that's a picture or shadow of them coming out of the world like me and you did. We were, we were born into captivity and slavery and dead spiritually. And we came out of Egypt by God sent to deliver. And we came into a promised land, this new life. The thing about it is there's battles that we have to fight as Christians. I have all these promises that are available to me. I have the promises of my life is to be full of joy. I have all the promises of, you know, healing and of prosperity. I have all these promises. But the thing about it is, I have to get up every day and fight for them. See, we would love to, it's a, for some reason, we, we convince ourselves that when we get saved, all of our problems go away, they become God's. No. What happens is when we get saved, we now have an answer for all of our problems. And we will not go through these problems alone. And if God be for us, who can be against us is what the, word, what the world has no hope to get through. We have an answer. And we have someone that's going to walk with us through these things. And the Bible says, well, show us things that we did not know. We got answers. And so God has His life for us. But the truth is, you have to get up every day. I'm going to have to get up every day. I'm going to fight my flesh. I'm going to get up every day. I'm going to have to fight for my joy. Because the enemy's constantly, the Bible says, going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he made a vow. So at the very beginning of Joshua, which the word Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua, and the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, Yeshua in the Old Testament is the same word as Jesus, Yeshua, in the New Testament. So it's the only book in the Bible that's got his name on it. So if you want to know what your life as a Christian, as a believer, as a, as a person that has accepted Lord Jesus, as a, you want to look what life's supposed to look like in Jesus, you can go to Joshua and begin to read. In the very first part of Joshua, it says this, that I want to bless you, I want to give you the, the land that I promised your forefathers. All those things you've been taught as a kid by other preachers or parents that these promises are yours, God wants that they are yours. They're not a carrot hanging on a string. God says, they are yours. All the promises that I told Moses are yours, Joshua. Then he says this, everywhere your foot treads, I will give it to you. What does that mean for us? It's not a piece of property, but everywhere we go, God is going to go with us and we can be victorious in everything. I can go to work and be victorious there. I can go to school and be victorious. I can go home and have a good marriage. I can go to town and I can be impactful for the kingdom of God. Everywhere my foot goes, the promise is that God's going to give it to me. And so there in Joshua 1.8, it says this. That it says that if you'll meditate on the word day and night, if you'll be careful to do what it says and keep what it says, and don't let a word depart out of your mouth, it says the promise is everything you do will be a success and everything you do will prosper. And that's a powerful picture of what God wants for me to have in my life. 
So that's what God told Joshua at the very beginning. But then we jumped into Joshua and we see the hand of God working on their behalf. He blocked the river, stopped the Jordan at flood season. And we talked about how you know the, the, the river only flooded every year at harvest time. Your life, God's plan for your life is about to take it to another level. Everything in God, God's plan for you is for your life to increase and go up. But the problem was there were a lot of issues and a lot of things. So what do you need to do as a believer to live this promise-filled life, this spirit-led life? Well, first it said we looked and said that Joshua and the children of Israel, right when they come across the river, they had to do the stupidest thing that you ever heard of before you go to fight a battle. They had to let all the men be circumcised. That's tough. That's tough. And why would God do something like that? Because these weren't babies. These were grown men, fighting men. It says all the fighting men had to be circumcised because there has to be a difference in the who I am and who the world is. And the Bible says circumcision was a mark. And the Bible says there, and Joshua says, they, they, they did so much uh, meat cutting that it was called the hill of the foreskins. That's crazy. That's a big old hill of cutting. A lot of flesh. But you know, we talked about why it's so important that you cut flesh away. It's because the Bible says the devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Lions are meat eaters. And I can be saved, and I can be so full of the flesh that everywhere I turn, the enemy's attacking me. And so there has to be a cutting away of things. There has to be a difference between the way I live and the way the world lives. Because if there's not, the enemy can just come and take take his free range, seeking whom he may devour. Remember, English school said, may means permission, can means ability. And so the more flesh I have in my life gives the devil more permission to come after things. If, if my, my marriage is full of flesh, the enemy's going to constantly be coming trying to devour my marriage. If my, flesh, if my body's full of flesh, he's going to constantly be coming after my health. If, it, if, it's, if my finances are full of flesh, He's going to constantly be coming. So wherever my flesh is leading. Because see, we talked about in 1 Thessalonians, He said, I want you to prosper spirit, soul, and body. That's God's plan. Our plan is we want to prosper body, soul, and spirit. Because it works this way. We are a three triune being. Either your spirit man is in control, your soul man, which is your mind, your will, and emotion, will line up and your flesh man will be crucified. Or, if your flesh man's in control, your mind, your will, and emotion will line up. That's why people can think, feel, and think fleshly thoughts. And your spirit man will be weak. And so, that's why there must be a cutting. But you just can't constantly stay in cut. Remember we talked about the next thing God told them to do was to move into celebrating the Passover. You always got to remember that the blood of Jesus is more powerful than anything the enemy has ever tried to do in your life. So then we got last week into Jericho. And we talked about Jericho and how God used them to fight a battle and how a lot of times the battles we're fighting, we don't understand what God's really doing. And we talked about they had to march around the wall for seven days. God said, take the army, march around the wall seven days, one time a day for six days. And on the seventh day, do it seven days. It says, so they got up the first day and they marched around the wall. It says they came back to camp and they went to bed. The next day they got up, they did it again. And we talked about, this is the thing. 
you, God wants us to just move into a life of obedience. Because He told Joshua eight times, be strong and courageous. You're never going to do anything or accomplish what God has called you to until we learn to be strong. And the reason why God has given us commandments, like march around walls, and a lot of times it feels like we're going around in circles in our lives. We've been doing this Christian thing, and I don't see anything happening. For six days, they didn't see anything happening. They just kept marching around that wall. You're going through the motions, going through the motions. You keep coming to church, and nothing's happening. You keep believing. You keep reading. Nothing happening. You're just going in circles. But what's happening is, God's not. you're not marching. They did not march. It was not their feet that shook the ground enough to cause the wall to fall. They were marching to build stamina. Because Joshua did not tell them how many days to march. God told Joshua. Joshua didn't tell the people. So the first day they marched around the wall. They didn't know if that was going to be the first day or the last day. But Joshua was building in them obedience. God said, do it, and I can trust God. God says, do it, and I can trust God. And there comes a point in every time you do what God has asked you to do that it runs out of the hand of man. Six days is the hand of man. Six is the number of man. Sixth day, God created man. But then there comes a day seven. I was so pumped this morning in, um, when we... Jacob, we, he stores all of our food for us. Give him a big hand clap. He's here with us today. We were at his store this morning. Pastor Maurice came up to me and said this. He said, you know what today is? I said, well, he said, it's year seven. I said, that's awesome. What? It's seven, seven. He said, yeah, seven years ago this week I was diagnosed with cancer. And this week I just got complete. He's completely no cancer. They just did the test and everything. See, there comes a day. There comes a day for seven years, Maurice has been walking around that cancer wall. And there comes a dime where it comes out of man's effort and goes into the hand of God. And on day seven, the walls fell. And it wasn't about the walls falling. It was about obedience to God. As we, Because the first day they walked, it says they walked around, they got back to camp and they went to bed. Then Joshua, it says, had to go get them up. It says he got them up the next morning. That means they must have been tired after that first day of walking. They never would have made it around seven days if they were tired after the first day. You know what I'm saying? Seven times. But God, every day they got up and marched around that wall, God was getting them stronger and stronger. What you're going through right now is not to get the walls to fall. It's getting you stronger and stronger. Because it's not about the walls. It's about what's inside the walls. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says when the walls fell, and we showed the picture on the stage, the walls fell. It says then they were to go up to get in. If you can't walk flat-footed around a wall, you're never going to be able to walk up over a wall. God was building stamina, building endurance, building trust, building faith in them that God said, walk it, don't make no sense, I don't see anything going on. But there came a moment when, boom, the hand of God moved. And they were able to handle it. They were able to handle it. So that's where we were. We got to there you last week. We're going to jump in this week. It's not going to be very deep, not going to be long, but... Probably one of the most important lessons out of the book of Joshua. Because, see, a lot of times we in this Christian walk start thinking that it, as we, the longer we walk with the Lord, life's supposed to get better and better and better. And it, in other words, you know, we're, we're way, when we got saved, we got a ticket to a cruise ship. And so we're just waiting to board our cruise and kick back and relax and just float on through this life thing. But the truth of the matter is, God didn't put you a ticket to a cruise ship, He enlisted you on a battleship. This is not... I used to gripe, Greg, where's Cody at? Cody used to work for me all the time. And Cody, uh, when he would come to work, it took him a little while to learn this, but them boys would come to work with me wearing flip-flops. And I said, boy, we ain't on no vacation. 
You go get your work shoes on. You can't work with me in flip-flops because those aren't work shoes. See, a lot of times we try to get up and put on our spiritual clothes and we want our flip-flops and our swimsuit because we think this is going to be just a cake while God just let us bash something. But the truth of the matter is He did not give that to us. As a matter of fact, what the Bible says He gave to us to wear is a suit of armor. And so we've got this suit of armor, but the problem with it is, the Bible says that we are to put on the whole armor of God. The problem with it is, some of us try to get up and put on the armor of God, and I did it for years, but I'm not strong enough to wear it. If you read Ephesians 6, it says this, Be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God. There's a progression here. And that's why we're on this series right now. Be strong and courageous. Because if you don't know how to be strong, you're going to find out. You're going to get into some battles that you're too weak to carry the armor. And so you'll be right in the middle of the battle and your helmet of salvation will fall off. Or you'll be going into war and the enemy's got there and your breastplate of righteousness will slip down. Now your belt of truth will lay on the feet. See, it takes more than just what God has given you. You've got to be willing to do what God has called you to do, and that's to be strong. So we're in this season now, and this learning how to be strong. And so you're never going to David. The Bible says David was just a little boy, and he was going to do something great for God. But the king said, oh, for you to do this, you need to put on the armor of God, but the armor. And he put on the armor, and it didn't fit. And the armor was causing him more trouble than it was helping. And so David, I'm so thankful that it wasn't about... The armor, it was about the spiritual strength that he had. Because he was able to kill a giant by being strong in the Lord. Not by the armor the king was trying to give him. Because I've been in the battle of my life a lot of times when I had let myself get weak. When I let myself get weak, I would find parts of my my armor laying on the battlefield and I didn't even realize it had fallen off. And then I'm open prey, trying to fight the battle without any protection. So my first job is to make sure I'm strong. You have to be strong. Then we'll move into the power of His might. See, we got something that Joshua and them didn't have. We got the power of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. We'll talk about that right after Easter. But here we want to jump in on Joshua chapter 7, where they just won Jericho. And God said, go up into the city. And everything in this city is mine. Leave it, take it, burn it to the ground, and take all the gold and silver and bring it to the tabernacle. This city is mine. But see, because God always, always, and whether you like it or I like it, God's always going to make sure that we keep Him first in our lives. And this was a test of whether or not they can have the rest of the promised land. If they were willing to give God the first city that He helped them conquer. And so they went in, and the Bible says that's what they did. They burnt everything there and took the gold and the silver, and then they took it and put it into the tabernacle. And then they were to go from there, and this is where we pick up in chapter 7. It says in verse 2, it says, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is beside Behaven on the east side of Bethel, and spake to them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And it says, They returned to Joshua and said to him, 
let us not let's not send all the people, not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people who labored thither, for they but are few. So they went up thither to the people, and I don't know what thither, they went up there. <laughs> To the people, about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about 30 and 6 men. For they chased from them before the gates, even unto Shebarim, however you want to pronounce that, and smote them in the going downs, whereas the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua ran his clothes and fell on the ground. And he uh, lifted up his face before the ark of the Lord in, in, in t- until evening time. And he said to the elders of Israel, and put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O God, where hell, why, why for hast thou at all brought this people over the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of their... I'm going to paraphrase this in English because I've got the King James here. All right? He said, God, why did you bring us here just to hand us over to these people? Would it not have been better, it says, to leave us on that side of the Jordan? It says, um, and God had... And God had been content and dwelt with us on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say? When Israel turns their backs before their enemies, you made us turn and retreat, is what he said. We we came up to fight the battle you told us to fight, and we had to turn our backs to them. Now, let me tell you this. You know, the armor of God was never meant for retreat. That's why when you read about it, Ephesians 6, there's nothing on the backside. The armor of God is always for advancement. It's not God's will for you to lose any battle. Every battle you come up to face, every battle you come up to fight, God's will and His plan for you is to win. So why is it that we lose battles? If we weren't designed, that's what Joshua was asking. He said, God, you gave us this land, you made these promises, you brought us this far, you gave us Jericho, you saw the victory, now we've come this far, and here we are to take this, and they beat us. You know, look, this was not even a big deal. Do you realize I look back at my life and I realize the most battles I've lost weren't even big things? It was little things that defeated me. That's why the Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Usually the things that we take for granted or we don't consider to be that big of an issue. Here, and they said, Hey, it's not even that big of a place. Let's not send the million man army we have. Let's send two or three thousand. I mean, that's got, that had to be a little bitty thing going on there. But the two or three thousand should have been able to win, but they went up and they didn't. They got beat. And so Joshua came back and says, God, and then he says this. He says, he says, Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies and they retreated? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of this and shall encamp around about us and cut us off for your name, your name off the earth. God, not only did you make us look bad, but now this is going to make you look bad too. And this is where we pick up. So I'm going to go real quick on this. Why is it, if God has all the promises for us, do me and you face defeat in a lot of areas in our lives? Because I know in my own personal life, there are things that I would be going after that I feel like God had called me to do. But man, I would face huge defeat. And the truth is, I will, at that moment, usually respond exactly how Joshua did here. I'm so glad out of this story, out of the book of Joshua, it puts in a moment of failure. A moment of him being defeated. Because if this story wasn't in there, every time I 
go what, toward what God calls me to do, and I face defeat, I don't have to think that there's not a plan for me, or I've blown it, or God can't use me. Because the truth of the matter is, most Christians, and me, myself, are this. We have more defeats in our life than we have victories. But I want that to change. I want that to change in my life. I want that to change in your life. And God didn't just leave it out there by chance. He actually, in this story here, gives us what I believe is a four-step plan to win every battle and face everything that the enemy comes against you with victory. We'll give them to you real quick. Number one, God cannot bless sin. You say, well, Craig, you're going deep. (laughs) Well, that's the way the story here goes. Number one, what happened, and you all know it, um, this is probably one of the most condemning stories in the Bible. I've had more preachers beat me over the head with the bat with this scripture and this story than any other story in the Bible. And uh, it comes down to what happened, the reason why they lost. When Joshua prayed, God told him this. He said, there's somebody in your camp that disobeyed what I had told them to do. They took from me what I have asked them to leave from Jericho. And his name was, is, I've got to read it to you, Achan. Achan had, when the army came up and took Jericho, Achan was looking around at all what God had done for them. But then he saw something that caught his attention. And what he saw, he considered to be precious. And he was so enamored with this that he reached down and he picked it up and he hid it. Took it back to his camp and put it in his tent. Whether you like it or I like it, God is who God is. And God can't change who He is or He wouldn't be God. And there are certain rules, there are certain laws that God cannot break. One promise that God cannot break is He cannot break His Word. And so... Whether I like it or not, if I want God to change His mind and He's already said it, He can't. You know, a lot, a lot of people get mixed up in the thought pattern of this. They get to thinking that, you know, God is sovereign. He can do anything. Well, the truth of the matter is, that's not true. He is sovereign, but there are things He can't do. Like, do you think God can make a rock so big He can't pick it up? That's kind of like which came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, can he make a rock so big he can't pick up? No, because God can never fail. So he would not even get in that arena. Because either one of those would be, he, God, that wouldn't be so. God cannot lie. Bible says it. God cannot leave you. Bible says it. There are principles and laws in the Bible that God has aligned himself in that he, he can't change. And so the thing about it is, no matter how bad you want God to change certain things, no matter how bad I want God to change certain things, God's not going to change because God is God. We have to accept that fact going in, that God is God. As a matter of fact, Joshua had to accept that fact. Before he went up to Jericho, the Bible says he got up one morning and uh, was freaking out, worried, stressing like we do. And he came up and asked, uh, he was there and he said, the Bible says, an angel of the Lord appeared before him. It says, the host of the Lord's army, which is Jesus. And it says, Jesus showed up before him. And Jesus, Joshua said this, Who are you with? Are you with them? Are you with us? And the host of the Lord said, Neither. See, a lot of times we, we get in this concept that God is on our side. How many of you guys have heard that preach? God is on your side. 
you know, God, God is on your side. Nobody, that's not true. Because I try to get God on my side all the time, but God keeps telling me, Cricket, I'm not getting on your side, and I'm not getting on their side. You're going to have to get on my side. And that's exactly what Jesus told Joshua. Joshua said, are you on our side or are you on theirs? And he said, neither. I've come and I'm on the Lord's side. So Joshua had a choice here. Whether I'm going to get on God's plan, get on God's side, or am I going to have to fight everything else and God? Because you need to know this. God's side always wins. I've tried to win. My parents had this promise that said that... um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They got this out of the book of Joshua. All right? And there were years I tried to fight that, and I couldn't. And it got to a point where no matter how bad I did not want to serve the Lord, it was the thing that drove me to serving the Lord more. And i got to be honest with you, God will win. I get the choice, though. The Bible says that I can either throw myself on the rock and be broken, or the rock will crush me. I was stupid enough to let the rock crush me a lot of times. But I'm so thankful that he was willing to. Because he's put everything together. And so whatever he breaks, he fixes. But, see, Joshua had to realize that going into this, we've got to be on God's side. Me and you got to realize going into this. So one of the laws of God is this, that God can't bless sin. I don't know about you. In my Christian walk, there's a story about a boxer that got up in a, in a ring. And he got up in the ring and his coach was like, all right, you got this. You're a better boxer. Your stats are better. You hit harder. Your career, you're going to whoop this dude. He jumps up, goes into the ring. Opponent jumps up. They go just to, and the opponent just starts wailing on him, just beating the pulp out of him. And he's just trying to keep his feet. I mean, the pounds are coming. Come Bell rings. He goes back to his side, sits down. The coach is like, you got this. You win it, man. Look at that. You got him running scared of you. You're going to win this thing. Get in there and get it. Bell rings. He jumps back and goes at it again. The opponent just beating the tar. He can't even get a punch in sideways. And he goes back to the bell rings. Go back to the sets down. And he's like, coach, you got this. You're going to win this thing. And he looks at his coach and says, somebody needs to go tell him that. Because he sure is not acting this way. A lot of times in our Christian walk, that's how we feel when it comes to the enemy. But the truth of the matter is, we keep blaming our battles on God when the truth is we won't get on God's side of the battle. Joshua lost this battle because there, were, there was sin in the camp. And the, what I've learned about sin is this. It's not the act God's concerned about. It's the heart. And the sin in this story was not what he took, but it was what he saw as precious. You Lord of the Ring fans in here? Watch the little gobbler dude's name. The little one that wants the precious. God, what is his name? Gollum. Go- Gollum. <laughs> I watch it and he trips me out. And I saw him on Pawn Stars the other day. They were selling a, co- a thing of him and got me thinking about this. That dude was so weak spiritually. Achan was so weak spiritually when he walked into Jericho. What God done, he looked down and he saw something more precious to him than being obedient and being in relationship with God. And he picked it up, and I picture in my mind's eye that Achan looked a lot like that little dude. Because that gold and that robe that he picked up was more precious than what God had in store for him in his heart. It wasn't the act of the picking it up. 
It was the act of what he considered it to be. It was more precious. And this is the truth. Anything in your life and anything in my life that I consider to be more precious than my relationship with the Lord is keeping my life from being what God wants my life to be. And even if those things aren't bad, there was a time that my kids and my wife, which were given to me by God, were more precious in my life than be honest, than I had allowed my place with the Lord to be. And I spent more time and more effort and more concern about making sure that they were happy and I was what they needed me to be. Honestly, then, I was about what God had called me to do and what God had made me in my relationship with Him. And I would sell my times with Him to be with them. And that doesn't sound bad until they became more precious to me than what God was to me. And when that happened, it allowed the enemy to come in. And it almost destroyed me and almost destroyed my family. And I almost lost my kill, almost lost it all. Simply because I wasn't in sin, I had just found something more precious. And Achan found something more precious to him than what God had called him to do. And the truth is this, number one, God can't bless sin. Anything you hold more precious in your life than you hold being right with the Lord is keeping you from living the life that God is destined and born and will fulfill you the way He wanted to. Number two, in this story, real quick, number two is that Joshua had lost his confidence in who God was and what His character is. It's shown when he says, when he found himself in the midst of this defeat, he turned to God and said, why didn't you leave us over there? Now everybody's going to make, take we're fools and everybody's going to think you're a failure. Everybody's going to know, why did you do this, God? And he started trying to blame this thing back on God. Well, the truth of the matter is, Joshua knew better. He just watched the hand of God crush the walls. But the truth is, when the Bible paints a picture of somebody, he paints it warts and all. And we get to see what it's like to really be a man that wanting to please God. And I've been in battles before in my life, and I've done the same thing. I start questioning, God, why did you fail me in this area? God, why did you do... You need to know this. If there's a defeat in your life, God has not failed. God was not the problem in this area. God is the answer. And the thing about this is, it was the sin in the camp. And Joshua was completely innocent of it. He didn't know about it. But it was it. So, but what Joshua had done is he had lost his confidence in the Lord. You know, I've been through some stuff now in my life. I've even walked through things this year with my daughter's health. And, and what I've learned is there's a lot of battles I've walked through in the past. I look back and think, boy, I walked through that very poorly. What a baby Christian I was. I've learned every battle I've walked through, victories and defeats, they've helped build my confidence in who the Lord is. And I'm getting to the point in my life, I'm not going to doubt Him because I just know too much about Him. He, he, he has never failed. He has never left me. He's not a God waiting in heaven to thump me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalms that He's good and He can only do good. And so the first thing to walk in victory is you've got to get your confidence in the Lord and who He is. 
He's not out to punish you. He's not out to judge you. He's actually sent Jesus to be punished and judged in your place. If anything's going wrong in your life, it's either because you've allowed sin to come in or number two, the devil's come at you and you're only a moment away from the victory. Because the Bible says, weeping will last for a night, but joy will come in the morning. That says it's only a matter of time. If God's allowing it to happen, it's for your good because it can't end this way. Me and Jennifer have a saying at our house that we see it all the way through the Bible, that no matter how bad it gets, it can't end this way. Joshua, as we go forward, you'll see at one point that Joshua, in the in a battle, he was in the middle of a battle fighting five kings, big battle, five kings, and it, it looked like he was on the brink of about to win, but it was getting late in the day and the sun was going down. And he looked up at the sun and said, God, don't let this end without full victory. And if God had to stop the sun in its place, you need to know something. God will not let it end that way. When that doctor told us last year that my daughter was going to be in a wheelchair by 13 and that she she was going to have the total hip rebuild and everything by 20, if we didn't do something, it was going to be a year. And they talked about how hard that year was going to be when you put a little baby in a full body cast. Tough, tough, tough. I was like, God, how are we going to do this? Because I'm only home half the time. Jennifer can't do this on the God stopped the entire world. We had that surgery on May 13th of last year. On May 13th, at, I mean March 13th, at March 13th at 8.30, we got the call at the hospital that the world stopped. They shut down hospitals. They shut down schools. They did not allow me to travel into Arkansas for six weeks. Couldn't out-of-state travel. They locked us down, put us at home. And the whole that's how God, me and Jen sat there and we couldn't believe because we did not know how. I was going to walk through that battle with my baby, being in a full-body cast in my... But he said, I will stop the world. And so you guys may have had to suffer through COVID and not get, but I got to be with my, I did not miss one single church service. I did not have to miss one single day of picking my baby up out of that bed where Jennifer couldn't lift her because he won't let it end that way. You got to get the confidence that it may be bad today, but God is not, you're not going to be single forever. If you got a desire to be married, you're not going to be single forever. If if you're facing sickness today, you are going to wake up one day healed. It's not going to end this way. Your marriage may be bad today. You may be going to bed in different rooms tonight. But it's not going to end this way. If you will decide, I am not going to get out of this thing, I'm going to let God keep working through it. It's, it's a confidence. And see, Joshua lost his. He said, God, it would have been better if we had stayed on the other side of the river. All right? Number one, God can't bless sin. Number two, you're going to have to get confidence. You say, well, cricket, how do I get confidence? Two ways. You've got to find out what the Bible says God is like, and then you're going to have to walk through a few battles and watch Him do how He does it. I've went through some battles in my marriage, in my kids, in my money, in my church. Man, I look back now, and I've... You know, I went through some huge battles. And I can honestly say over the last five years, none of them has phased me because God had been faithful to every one of the ones before. You get to this point, then you walk through enough things, and God has never let you down. He has never failed you. You're still here. You're still breathing. And life is still going forward. You get this confidence. And Joshua, you just have to have. So two ways. One, you find out what the Bible says God is like. And then two, 
you start looking for Him to be that in your life and in your past, and it builds confidence. It's called building your faith. Number three, how do you walk this walk of faith and victory? Well, this one, you don't do what Joshua did. Joshua did not pray before he went to battle. It says that Joshua and the men sat down and they talked. And they sent in spies and they saw how big the city was. And they said, we don't need to send everybody. Let's send two or three. So they did. If you're going to walk in a life of victory, you're going to have to learn to walk in a life that you pray before you proceed. You say, well, Cricket, uh, I'm just not a prayer. I, I get that, man. I totally do. Because, man, Miss Vashta, it's weird. I, I, I used to get bothered about people like her. Because Miss Vashta can sit down in a chair in a cold room and pray for two and three hours at a time. I mean, it's just amazing. And i got to be honest with you, I can't. Just straightforward. I'm not, I'm, my prayer life is something I have to fight for every day. And some people can pray long. I'm somebody that can't. But I love what A.J. Tozer said. His statement was this. He says, I don't pray long, but I don't go long between the times I pray. And so I love that statement because, again, I, gotta, I, don't, I don't sit and pray for hours, but I do pray. And then it's not long again before I pray again. I, I do like 15-minute intervals. You know what I'm saying? The thing about it is Joshua didn't even do that. He made a decision in his life without going before the Lord and asking God and praying about it. And it ended up in defeat. How many times in my life, I'm so thankful that my dad taught me how to pray. Because you know how many marriages I would have done been through? Because I dated some hot girls before I met Jen. And on paper, a lot of them looked they would be perfect. But this was a big decision in my life, and so my parents taught me to pray. And so I'd pray about it, and every time I prayed about a girl before I met Jennifer, I got a no. And I would argue with God about a bunch of them. But God, look, you if you didn't want me to have her, you wouldn't have made her so hot. All right? But God would give me no's, and God would give me no's. God would, I'm so thankful that God taught me to pray. My parents taught me to pray. Because if He wouldn't have, I wouldn't have found Jennifer. See, any decision you're making in your life before you pray, it's an opportunity for you to lose tragically. This wasn't just a beat at the battlefield. 36 men died in this battle. The Bible says it was 36 marriages over. There was 36 kids without fathers. There was 36 families completely directions changed simply because a man didn't pray. How many bad decisions have you made in your life because you didn't take time to pray before God speaks to you? I talked in the early church about the, one of the toughest decisions I ever had to make was going to uh, taking a church in Savannah, Georgia. Jen, I didn't want to do it. I want to plant a church. Jen informed me to take it. I took that day, set that appointment, went and prayed. And this is what God told me. I stayed in that sanctuary until I heard God say, if you'll support her when it's easy. Because the job in Savannah was a church of 1,200. Paid me a lot of money. We were a couple miles from the beach. Savannah is a cool town. You know, and so it, it's, it was easy. It wasn't a hard choice. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. God said this. She'll support you when it's hard. And five years later, God spoke to me about coming here, giving up a $110,000 a year job to come here and take no money and no job and try to plant a church. I knew God was telling me to, but that's hard, that's hard for a wife to give away, give up all that stuff. But I said, God, you made me that. You told me that five years ago. You're going to have to tell her. One, two weeks later, Jennifer came to me and said, Cricket, 
feel like God's telling us it's time to go plant that church. And she's been as a hundred percent support since. And if I not have prayed, if I would have put my foot down and said, Jim, we're planting this church now, I got to be honest with you. We probably would be divorced because it would have been what we've been through planting this church was tough. We weren't ready to go through it then. But God knew. God knew. But had I not have stopped and prayed, if Joshua would have stopped and prayed, I know for a fact God would have told him, don't go. Because in the story, when Joshua did stop and pray, you know what God said? There's somebody in the camp that's got some sin. God wasn't keeping it a secret. The Bible says when we pray, God will show us things we did not know. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. That means pray. He'll direct your paths. Joshua didn't pray. You're going to have to have prayer life. You have to pray before you do things. And the problem with prayerlessness is this. People don't pray because people are prideful. People think they know more. They can do better. A lot of times, this is the truth. It's not that you're not smart enough. It's just God knows what's around the corner. And He's willing to show it to you. If you'll stop and you'll pray. Now, the thing about people that do pray is you'll find people that will say, God told me, and you'll see them do business decisions or transactions or those kind of things, and, and you'll be like, how are they coming up with those ideas? It's because God's willing to show you anything you're willing to ask God for. Like we talked about before, you can hear God speak. You just got to give Him an opportunity. That's prayer. What you did earlier in this service, you asked God a question, that's prayer. But Joshua didn't do it. He didn't pray, and they lost battle. Next thing was this. For us to walk in victory, you have to move to a place, and this is the last one, to heed the word of the Lord. Now, this is a tragic story. And the thing about sin is this. Joshua was asked to do something that was tough because he said this, all right, I want you to pull all the people together. We're going to cast some lots. And we're going to cast the lots, and out of lots, there's going to be a tribe. All right? The tribe will cast lots again, and then there's going to be a, I mean, there's going to be one of the, the, uh, Groups of children. Out of that group, there's going to be a tribe. Out of that tribe, there's going to be a family. Out of that family, there's going to be a man. All right? And so they cast lots, and it came all the way down to Achan. And Joshua said, Achan, what's going on? And Achan said, Yeah, I took something out of the Jericho, and I put it in my tent, took a robe, took some gold, it's buried in my tent. Now, we think that's pretty honorable, but the truth of the matter is, um, wasn't because he didn't confess he got caught. Here's the difference. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm getting into this dad thing now and I tell my girls this. I want to be the kind of dad that when my girls come to me and they've made a mistake because they will. I don't expect that perfect children because I know who their mother is. I know who I am. And so, but I want to be the dad that when they do make a mistake or they do make a problem, they have a good enough relationship with me they can come say, Daddy, I messed up. And they know that I'm going to work with them and we're going to fix and come out of whatever's happened. I don't want to be the dad that is the last to know when something is wrong in their life. But see, a lot of people have that view of God. So... They can't come truthful until they're pinned into the corner. That's what Achan did here. See, God started with the tribe, gave him an opportunity to confess. He didn't. Went down to the tribe, and then it went down to the family. It wasn't until the finger went, it was just him. He confessed. So Achan didn't do an honorable thing. But the Lord told Joshua what he had to do was he had to take Achan 
and kill him. And not just kill him, had to kill his family, his kids, and all this stuff. That's hard. Let me ask you, that's hard. When I read stories like that in the Bible, it drops me back. I think, man, I'm so glad I live in the dispensation of grace that Jesus has already paid for all of that for me. But the truth is this. How do you recover from failure? How do you recover from defeat in your life? Well, one, you get sent out. Number two, you have to have confidence in the Lord. Number three, you have to have a prayer life. And number four, you have to be obedient. You have to heed the word of the Lord. And I've never had God ask me to do something that didn't seem difficult to me at the beginning. Just like when God asked, when God told me if I'll support Jen, to support me, that means I had to lay down all of my wants and all my desires to plant this church then and go somewhere. I didn't even like the people. I mean, that's what I didn't like them. And didn't know them. I'd already, and I felt like I was losing. But God told me to do it. And today I'm standing here where? Say this thing, Joshua, no matter what God had asked him to do, he was willing to do it. And that's how you walk in victory. Anytime God has ever asked you to do something, if you do it, then your life will be victorious. But for some reason, we convince ourselves it won't. For some reason, when we read in the Bible and it says, all right, do this. We're like, oh, but if I do, I'm not really going to be happy. That's why you're not happy. Ah, if I, if I do that, I'm not going to, you know, I can't afford to do that. Right? That's why you can't afford to do it. Um, I can't, you know what I'm saying? I want unforgiveness. I can't forgive her. You know, there's a, the truth is this. That's one of the hardest things in the church the devil holds people back with. is forgiving somebody that's hurt them. Go to another level. Even harder than that is to forgive somebody that hurt their kids. It's even harder. And the truth is this. We don't feel like it. Faith is not a feeling. If you have to feel like forgiving, then you're not doing it in faith. Somebody asked me one time, how do you forgive if you're still angry? Will you forgive in faith? What is faith? Faith is doing something whether you feel it or not. Because God said do it. I'm fearing all the time. I, you know what I'm saying? Fear carries feelings. And fear is a prophetic voice. If I do what it says, I'll get what it has. The Word of God is a prophetic voice. If I do what it says, I'll get what it has. I get to decide which voice I follow. So to walk in victory, it says he heeded the Word of the Lord. God said kill him. It made no sense. God did it. I mean, Joshua did it. I ain't saying kill who you're mad at. What I'm saying is... That was a hard act. And when I read things like that in the Bible, I got to say, I don't know if I could do that. I might could have killed Aiken. But I couldn't have killed his kids. Because I have kids. Okay? And the thing about it is, like, with forgiveness. If God says forgive, it don't matter if you feel like it or not. That's why you don't have victory in your life. Because you're not doing it by faith. You you say, Cricket, well, I can't love that person. You don't love them because you feel it. You do it because through faith. And the reason why you don't have victory is because you're not doing it. Every one of us have an area in our life that God's been trying to get you to heal. God's been trying to get you to take a step toward. God's been trying to get you just to act on faith and obey. 
but it's the thing the enemy's been using in your life and in my life to keep us from having victory. But today, they did it. That day, they got victory. And do you know there wasn't another battle in the book of Joshua they lost? Once they learned to heed the word of the Lord. As a matter of fact, it even went as far as as soon as they did kill him, they went right outside and went 25 miles down the road. And there were two mountains on each side. And he took six tribes of Israel. Six tribes of Israel put one on this side. said, this is the cursed side, this is the blessed side. And I'm going to read through what the commandments of the Lord is. And I want this time, every time I read a blessing, I want you guys to say amen. And I want, every time I read a cursing, I want you guys to say amen. Because what I'm going to do, Josh said, I'm going to establish right here that whatever God says is true. And whatever God says, we will commit to. And so he would read a blessing and they would say, so be it. He would read a curse and they would say, so be it. He, read, he went all the way through. And you say, that's weird. Why did he do that? Because back in Exodus 28, God told Moses, when you get into the promised land, do it. didn't make no sense. But Joshua realized, by doing what God told me to do back with Achan, brings victory in my life. He started going back, trying to find every area in his life that he could realign back up to what the Word of God said. And victory came through the rest of the book. All the way down to the last book of Judges, uh, Joshua says this. Joshua 28 says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I'm here to tell you today, that's how you walk into victory. You say, Cricket, you're along. I know I'm just missing right now. But before I do, I want to say this. If there's an unconfessed sin in your life, if there's something that you've held on more precious than Jesus, it's the reason why you've not got the victory where you're at because God can't bless that thing. But it's real easy to fix because 1 John 1 9 was written to Christians, not sinners. Check this out Christians. 1 John 1 9, Romans was written to sinners. 1 John 1 9 said, If you'll confess your sin, He will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. All Achan had to do to save his family was when God said they're sin in the camp. He could have raised his hand and said, hey, it's me. I, I want to I say I'm sorry before the Lord. When it got down to his tribe, he could have said, hey, it's me. When it got down to his family, he could have said, hey, it's me. It didn't. It waited until it fell on him. Then he was caught. And he said, hey, it was me. There's a difference in confessing and being caught. I tell my girls this all the time. Girls, Come tell me anything, anything. I'll work with you through it. But if I find out that that's going on, you're going to go through the punishment by yourself. Because there's a difference. And today, God, if you're in a place and you say, Cricket, I know there's a thing in my life that's kept me from having victory. And I want to confess it before the Lord, not me. I don't want to know your business. I've got to be honest with you. I got enough issues of my own. I don't care what you do. But I want to give you an opportunity to say, God, this is going on in my life. Because you know what? He knows already. He knew already. He, knew. he, was, he saw it can pick it up. See, what happens though is this. Do you know more professional snake handlers get bit when they're trying to put a snake down than they do picking up a snake? Something like 92% of all professional snake handling bites happen when they go to put the snake down. Do you know why? 
because they're careful when they pick it up. But then they get comfortable handling it. And then they get careless when they go to put it down. That's the way the enemy works. All of us, the enemy has enticed us with pleasures somewhere in our life. And we've all picked up something that we felt is more precious than what God has asked us. Now the question is, are we going to carefully put it down? Are we going to hold it till we're comfortable and it has a chance to bite? Because the truth is, anything that is more precious in your life than God has an opportunity to bite and poison and destroy your life. Me loving my wife more than I love God opened a door for my marriage to fall apart. Ain't that weird? That I could be doing everything right and still be so wrong. <laughs> me putting my kids above me. But you know the truth is the greatest thing I can do for my wife and my kids is to be the greatest man of God I can be. And it's the best in the world for them. If I be, if I would become a, a better man of God every day, I would, it would be better than that. Jennifer would be better off than if I tried to be a better husband every day. Does that make sense? So it's so easy for the enemy to get us, have us pick up precious and hide it. I want to pray with you real quick. Then we're done. It is God's will for you to be in victory. If there's anything that's been holding you back from victory, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit right now to reveal it to you right now. And if He revealed something to you, I'm simply, I don't even want you to move your mouth. You can breathe. Because I don't want nobody to know your business. It's none of theirs. But you just simply ask God to forgive you. Say, Father God, I ask you to forgive me for this thing that I've held precious in my life. And I lay it down at your feet because I don't want to give it a chance to bite me in my future. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for cleansing me, making me all righteous from the top of my head to the soles of my toes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.